with me. Heavenly Father, you have the words of eternal life. You are eternal life. And Lord, it's essential for us this morning to have those words penetrate deeply into our heart. And I pray that by your grace and mercy and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us receptive hearts to your word. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I was here last week, but I haven't had a chance to say hi to everyone again after being away on vacation. I, I hope you don't mind if I'm up here today. I had neglected to double check that my podium was down there, which I normally drag down to, to eye level. So it's uh, great to have this perspective <laughs> and um, to be able to see all of your faces gives me great delight and joy. Uh, this morning, um, we're following Jesus in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, you feel free to open up to John's Gospel. Otherwise, the text is in your bulletin. And uh, Jesus is doing what he does best, which is uh, irritating the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, he seems to have a, a unique gift for this. And, uh, and I want to explain why. And of course, when we think of the Pharisees and Sadducees, we ought to be thinking of ourselves as well, because we're not so different. Um, and uh, what we want to talk about this morning is freedom. Being set free. Now, I'll just kind of get to the point quickly because there's two ways of thinking about freedom, which we'll unpack a little bit. One is the freedom that comes from expressing faith, confessing faith in Jesus Christ initially, in the beginning, when we're saved. It's, it's the faith and confidence that we put in Christ for the very first time. And we are freed from that moment from sin and death. And there's another kind of freedom, though, that we often struggle with after that point, which is the feeling of being free. How is it that we actually experience freedom? And because you can't do everything in a sermon, although you can try, um, I'm thinking especially of that second feature, which is that for those of us who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, are we experiencing freedom? So I just want you to think about that. I, I think probably a lot of us can relate to that question at least. Now, so let's start with the context of this passage. Uh, Jesus and his antagonists here, the people he's arguing with, uh, the Jewish leadership. Often in, in John's gospel when he says the Jews, he's talking about the Jewish leadership. Okay, just keep that in mind. Obviously, Jesus himself is Jewish as everybody else that's following him. And Jesus starts out by saying this really wonderful thing. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Who could argue with that? Well, the Pharisees can, or the Jewish leadership can, because Jesus is putting his finger right in on the nerve of something, the Jewish people of all people would have called themselves more than anybody else free. So when Jesus is saying, uh, if you trust in me, you'll be free, they're like, uh, excuse me, you know, it sounds offensive. Now, why would they think that way? They think that way because the Jewish people at the very, very start of their kind of uh, existence as Jewish people were delivered from slavery 
from Egypt. You know that big story uh, where God calls Moses at a time when, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And Moses, of course, is the, the guy that, that kind of oversees these plagues, you know, and, and Pharaoh kicks him out and they go through the Red Sea and the waters parted. You know that story? And, and Pharaoh's army pursues them and they're defeated and the Jewish people become free. That's, that's what happens in the Exodus event or the time of Passover. And Israel celebrates that event every year and has done for 3,000 years. So what the Jewish people are taught in their liturgy, rightly so, is that they have been set free by the mighty hand of God. It's part of who they are. And when you read the biblical account, they are set free in order to worship. That's why they were set free. God said, I'm gonna bring you out of Egypt and I'm going to make you a people that worships God. That's so central to Israel's consciousness that when Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to set you free, they find that offensive. I mean, Americans think this way, don't we? We're the land of freedom, the land of the free, and the home of the brave. And if we find somebody from some other country, right, that comes along and says, hey, we're gonna set you free, we'd be like, well, yeah, we got that already, thanks. You know, we've been there, done that. And that's kind of the way that the Jewish people are thinking right now. They're thinking, wait a second, what are you talking about? I mean, we are the free people. And again, free to worship. Now, you'll find this concept all over the New Testament, this, this relationship between freedom and worship. And Paul, the apostle, he just loves this metaphor. And, and he'll say, hey, you've been delivered from slavery. Oh, of course, you're slaves in Christ. You know, we were enslaved to sin, but now we're set free. Now we can be servants. Paul plays with this all the time, this, this, kind of, this kind of relationship between what does it mean to be free and what does it mean to be a servant. So this is very, very important. And so that's why Jesus irritates these people. And of course, he's doing it intentionally because he's trying to lift out into their consciousness a problem that, you know, he doesn't want them to be ignorant of a really difficult problem that they have. So that's kind of what, why Jesus is saying these things. And what he's saying is, look, you're enslaved. And what's enslaving you is your sin. They have a very difficult problem. And it's this one. They think they are free, and they're not. Do you see how difficult that can be? Do you see why Jesus has to kind of be aggravating? Because that's a conundrum. There's nothing harder to solve in people's lives when they think they're free and they're not. It, somebody's gotta come along and, and say the painful thing. You're, you're actually, you're not free. That's the difficulty of evangelism. You know, when you're talking to somebody who says, I'm fine, thank you, somebody's got to call them on and say, yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> that requires a lot of anointing. It's the work of proclamation. Jesus would have solved nothing for nobody if he would have pretended that everything was just fine when it really wasn't. So Jesus is doing a mercy for the, the Jewish leadership when he says, you think you're free, 
but you're not. Your worldview is a prison. That's what he's saying. They're saying, we're offspring of Abraham. Now, they're saying, we're not afraid of sin and death. And Jesus is saying, well, you should be. And friends, we're all like that. We all have worldviews that could be a prison if somebody doesn't help us to see it. I'll tell you, a big worldview prison for us is the American dream, for example, something we can all relate to. Maybe we can't relate to being sons of Abraham. Well, some of us can be related to that, relating to that here. We have some Jewish believers with us. But for many of us, we're all Americans. Maybe we can relate really clearly to this one, the American dream. What's the American dream? The American dream is I'm gonna have a house and I'm gonna remain young and healthy and that's my right. That's a prison. Because as we all know, very few people actually realize the American dream at all, but you can live your whole life with that expectation. You can live your whole life in prison with the expectation that you're gonna be young and healthy and you're gonna have young and healthy children and you're never gonna have any problems and, and, and you're gonna get there eventually. It's a very subtle prison. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I want you out of the cell if I could change the metaphor just a little bit. The gospel, he's saying, is salvation for all of us who are entrapped in a jail cell of our own sinfulness. He says, I'm gonna set you free. And how tragic it is when that gospel message is met by people who say, well, I don't need it. I'm really not imprisoned. That's so hard to hear that. And friends, we can do that to ourselves frequently. We can say to, to, to Jesus commonly, I, thanks, but I'm not in prison. I'll come back to that in a minute. But I want, first of all, to say that uh, the gospel is, first of all, a challenge to that thing that imprisons us. And sometimes it's a prison of our own making. In fact, it's often, it's always a prison of our own making. Our prisons never are made by God. And sometimes we ask that question, Lord, why is something happening to me? It's not because God is creating a prison cell for you. It's because he's opening the gate to let you out. We cannot free ourselves. I want you to think of it, you know, there's this old philosophical conundrum for the one or two of you that are interested in philosophy. (laughs) I'm probably one of them, so there's only one left. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Eric and I got that covered, so sorry, I'll I'll just indulge the two of us. You know that old philosophical problem where is somebody who is in a jail cell with the door open, are they free or are they imprisoned? Well, I I don't know, I've never stopped thinking about that for some reason, but golly, do we often find ourselves in that, that case. And that's what I want to speak to this morning. All of us who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, we are free. I'm going to come back to that again. It's objectively true. Okay? I'm going to use two words, objective and subjective. Objective is what's true. Subjective is whether we feel it's true. All right? Objectively, if we confess faith in Jesus Christ, we're free. That's the gospel. And that's so helpful 
because there are times when our feelings are so unmanageable. It's just like floundering in the water and we need, we need to stand on something so we don't drown. And isn't it nice to know that it does not matter how you feel about it. When you confess faith in Jesus Christ, you are free. That's what you are and you can depend on it because as verse 36 of John says, it's towards the end of the passage, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That's worth praising God about. And salvation does not come by obeying the words of Jesus. All right, I'll get back to that in a second. Verse 36 says what the basis of our salvation is. It's the Son who sets you free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That's the good news. We can't free ourselves. We can't open the gate. But Christ can and Christ does. That's what he does. It's what he's doing. Why? And here the word son is very important. And Jesus uses this metaphor of son versus slave. Can't read Bible if, you're, if you don't like poetry. Always dealing in metaphors. It's the difference between a son and a slave. Here's the way that Jesus describes it and the Apostle Paul talks about what the son does for his followers, they do. When God said to Jesus, behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, to remember Jesus, God the Father said that to Jesus at his baptism. You may remember that uh, in the, all the baptismal stories. Jesus, when he's baptized, the dove comes down symbolizing the Holy Spirit and the voice of God comes out and he says, behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, do you know what that means for each and every one of us? For all of us who are in Christ, that's the Paul's phrase, whoever's in Jesus, God is saying that to each and every one of us. When God said, behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he's saying, behold my beloved children. We get everything that Jesus got. What Jesus does, we do. What happened to Jesus happens to us. When he went down into death, we died. When he rose again, we rose again. When he ascended to heaven, we ascend with him. When he's at the right hand of God the Father, we're there in the very presence of God. And so Jesus is saying, I've won for you your inheritance. I'm an heir as the son, the beloved son of God, and because you're in me, you're also sons and daughters, heirs of everything that I have. My house is your house. And in my house, you are not a slave. There is no slavery in God's house. There is no slave in God's house. There's only children, sons and daughters, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Here's how Jesus says it in in John's gospel, the first chapter, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's how Paul says it. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So friend, I just want you to know that if you have confessed Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you are free. You are a son. You dwell not in a jail cell. 
but in the house of God. But I wanna get to this issue of your spiritual condition. It's one thing to know we're free, it's another thing to feel that we're free. And I would make a guess that for most of us here, and myself included, we often do not feel free. I feel oftentimes, and I talk to many people who share this feeling, that oftentimes we're in the cell, we know the gate's open, but we have not walked through it. We don't even really know what that would mean. What would it be like to be out of this cell that I feel like I'm in? I can't even really think about that. I don't even know what my life would even be like if, I, if that were true. And friends, it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be that all of us here sitting in this room should feel that we're out of the cell. That's our promise in Christ Jesus. And so we need to ask ourselves, why are we still in there? Well, there are a lot of different reasons, okay? There are a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's because we're just doing sinful things. And friends, if you're doing sinful things, you will feel imprisoned. That's just the way it is. When the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you quench the Spirit, you will feel thirsty. And you can't expect God's blessing in your life if you're habitually practicing sin. You're just going back again into slavery. It's just best to recognize that. It's living in such a way that faith is basically irrelevant. We cannot expect to experience freedom if we remain committed to a lifestyle or activities that undermine God's word or make faith irrelevant. It's one thing just to say, Lord, Lord, but if we don't allow the presence of Christ to affect the way that we live, then we will feel distant. So that's one aspect of why we still feel in the jail cell. There's another aspect which I find almost more difficult. We're not free, we don't feel free because we're just struggling with a lot of difficult issues. I think a lot of us can relate to that. I'm not free from my troubles. I might, I might say I'm free from sin, but I sure don't feel free from my troubles. The people that I love they're not free, and if they're in chains, then I feel like I'm in chains too. That's another way of feeling like I'm still in the jail cell. I mean, isn't freedom in Christ supposed to kind of make me feel better? And how can I feel better when things are just hard? That's a certain kind of a freedom. And, and Jesus wants us to, to, to address that as well. So I've already shared the objective reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can take it on a matter of faith that, as Paul says, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. That's just the objective truth, whether we feel like it or not. But the subjective experience of freedom of something that occurs, and this is the key point, when our experience and our way of being is shaped by a relationship that we have with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In other words, the answer to the question of how I can experience freedom 
The answer to that question is connected to the relationship that we have with Jesus personally. All right? So it's not uh, do the five things or the 12 steps to this or that. I want to give some practical guidance, and I will, I will shortly here. But I just want to focus on this, that the experience of freedom comes from the experience of knowing Jesus personally. That's what changes everything. Until that happens, everything will seem abstract. Oh, this will just seem like a bunch of concepts. The experience of freedom has to include what we think and what we feel and what we do. That's where the experience of freedom is manifest, by what we think, what we feel, and what we do. Those things are all related, of course. What we believe affects how we feel, and how we feel affects what we do, and you can go the other way around. What we do affects how we feel and what we believe. If we believe lies and falsehoods, then our feelings and actions will follow suit. That's why Jesus says here in verse, um, in the beginning of our text, in verse 31, to abide in my word. Abide is a different kind of wor word than just understand my words. Abide means to dwell in them. And as Jesus go on, goes on to explain, he is the word. This is just another way of describing how it is that we encounter Jesus personally. But I want to focus on this. I'm not speaking here about intellectual thoughts. I'm speaking about the thoughts that are rooted very deeply in you based on what you've experienced in your lives. I'm talking about these kinds of thoughts. You ever talk to somebody who lived in the, during the Great Depression, children of the Great Depression? What they know is that there's not enough. That's what they know. That's the kind of thought I'm talking about here. All right, what they know is that there's not enough, or what they know is that there's a, if there's enough today, there may not be enough for tomorrow. That's what they know. Now, we know a lot of things this way. You know, we know, because we're Americans, we know that we're not supposed to suffer. Every American knows that. You know, something, if you're suffering, that's not American. Some people just know their failures. You just know that. You know that you will fail. Some people know that the only way to get what they want is to be angry. They just know that. That's just the truth. They know that the only way to protect themselves is to be quiet. These are all things we know. And of course, just by hearing them, we know they're falsehoods. All right, but that's what I'm talking about. That's the sort of thing that's gonna keep you in prison. And so when Jesus says, I've opened the gate, he's saying, I've freed you from the power of sin and now in my relationship with you, I am going to start to bring out the things that you thought you knew that are lies and are not truths and that I will change them. That's what Jesus is doing in your life. He's setting you free from those things that you know that are killing you, that are imprisoning you, that are frustrating you and discouraging you and keeping you down. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do in his children. 
He's done that from the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve, and he will not let go of his hope, if I could call the enemy having hope of any kind, that you will be frustrated, depressed, discouraged, and put down and imprisoned your whole life. And Jesus, of course, well, Jesus and the enemy, by the way, they're not even competitors. God doesn't have a competitor. This isn't a question about who's got more strength, all right? Remember what Jesus said, who the sun sets free is free indeed. That's a victory. But Jesus gives us words now about how it is that we can actually experience freedom right in the very things that feel like they're imprisoning you. You can even think about what those things are. I mean, we know each other well, we know there are a lot of things going on you know, in each other's lives that feel kind of like prisons. Bad things that have happened, things that we're praying for that we're not getting answers for, just a general sense of not feeling well. All right, so here are a couple of guidelines for how to nurture that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ that he says will help you subjectively experience the kind of freedom that he's talking about. And the first word that we've already mentioned here is to abide, okay? If you abide in my words, abide is a very important word in the Gospel of John. You'll find this word a lot. And another way of translating it is to remain and, and abide and remain. And there, I, you could do a whole wonderful word study on this word. But, but here's, I just want to get to the point here, which is, first of all, slow down in Jesus' words. He says something here that is so glorious and so spectacular in verse 38. I speak, Jesus says, in other words, the question is, how do you abide in his words? What's Jesus talking about here? Listen to this in verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my Father. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, nobody's seen that. Nobody. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And can you imagine what it is that they see when they see things? Can you imagine we see some infinitesimal amount in the glory of the world that we have. The earth is beautiful, isn't it? I mean, it shouldn't be. It's a fallen world, but gosh, it's beautiful. And can you imagine the world that God sees in his glory? And that's what Jesus sees and what he speaks about and what he wants to share with you. Can you imagine what Jesus sees when he looks at your life? He wants to tell you what he sees. I speak of what I've seen with my Father. That's why he can say, Jesus does, this is a challenging verse, I know, but I'm going to say it anyway, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, same phrase, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Jesus said it. I gotta, I gotta say that whole thing for another sermon. <laughs> but that's what Jesus sees. That's why he can say that. How do you do this? Well, friends, just really pragmatically and practically here, know and cherish the words of Jesus. Know them. 
Do you know Jesus' words? It does require a little bit of elbow grease. You gotta get in there and read the book. And there's a lot of helps to do that. But certainly going through the Gospel of John has been one way of just kind of slowing us down and reading the words of Jesus. But you need to know them and you need to cherish them. I, this is just from the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. We spend a whole week thinking about that one. I lay down my life for my sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall live. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. You can't know these things apart, apart from the simple, uncomplicated fact that you have to read them. So I just want to encourage all of us to take time and read. You don't have to read fast. You don't have to read the whole thing. It'd be great if you did. But you have to open the book and you have to read the words of Jesus. Know them and cherish them. Of course, abiding in the word means so much more than just that, but cherishing the words of Jesus is one way of abiding in his words. How do you cherish somebody's word? You ever get a love letter? Do people do love letters anymore? Thank God I grew up before texting. Uh, we got, I got actual love letters. And I wrote actual love letters, which are in a box in my basement, which nobody can ever read, even myself. <laughs> but when Becca would send me love letters, I would cherish them. It means I'd read them over and over again. And I'd look for hidden meanings, because I always wanted more. It's never enough. You just ponder them, friends. Gosh, we drive all over the place. What do you do when you drive? Turn off the news. Ugh. Ponder a word of Jesus. When you're walking, you take those moments. You know, when you're in the shower, you know, ponder a word of Jesus. We all have this. Who, what is this time? Somebody told me what this, borrowed time, no, found, found time. Is that the new phrase now <laughs> for young people? Found time. Listen. First of all, abide, cherish. Second, listen. Listen. He is speaking to you personally. Listening requires time and a frame of mind, okay? It requires listening to yourself a little bit. For example, how do you react to the words of Jesus? The Pharisees, for example, were very irritated. Are you irritated by the word of Jesus? I'm sure you must be sometimes. You know, I mean, King David was, he'd say, I, how come the wicked prosper? He's irritated. I, I know there are people here asking that same question. I do not see justice being done. Okay, are you irritated by the words of Jesus? How about Mary and Martha, right? They, they were there, Lazarus was dead, and because Jesus did not arrive in time to heal their brother, they were sad. Peter he betrayed Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was ashamed. How do you react to a word of Jesus? Don't be embarrassed. There's all kinds of reactions to the word of Jesus. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. I, I'm ticked off. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm really sad. How about my favorite one, and I'll probably come to this again, you know, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Remember, there's this guy whose daughter's dying, and Jesus says, well, if you believe, that's too much pressure. Wait a second, my daughter's gonna believe if I have enough faith? <laughs> Lord, help my unbelief. 
right? So listen. What is Jesus saying to you in your reaction? It's gonna tell you something. And there are specific answers to those specific people. To the Pharisees, Jesus was hard and he, was, he, he issued a word of judgment which is appropriate. To, to, to Mary and Martha, he offered consolation and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. To Peter, he called him into ministry of vocation. He said, feed my sheep. Those are incredible answers to those specific people. He's got a word for you specifically that's gonna address your response to him. But if you never listen to God or to yourself, you'll just never know. He speaks to us primarily through Holy Scripture. You must take time to read it. He speaks to us through other believers. We must fellowship with each other both living believers and dead believers. That's books. <laughs> you ever read a book that helps you? That can be a way of speaking to the tradition. He speaks to us through creation. There are many ways, many ways that God speaks to us, all originating in the Holy Spirit who is in your heart crying, Abba, Father, in all sorts of ways that cry is speaking to you and undoing the lies. One bar at a time, you will find yourself free. Abide in his words. Cherish them. Listen to yourself and to God. Third, and there's only two more points here, so I'm, I'm wrapping up quickly. Trust. Trust in his word. Jesus is trustworthy because of who he is. You can trust him by confessing the truth. It'll build trust up in your heart. Open your mouth and say, I trust you. Say it verbally. Share with your brother or sister in Christ the thing that you're trusting for. Go and tell somebody, I'm trusting the Lord for this. It'll build confidence in you. Write it down in a journal. Be honest to God about your doubts. Pray, Lord, help my unbelief. The result of abiding, cherishing, listening, trusting is that the Holy Spirit is going to undo the lies. You'll see. The truth will become more real to you than the challenge and, then the, and the lie, and your perception will change. So for those of us who feel imprisoned by our troubles, things that are disturbing us tremendously, things that are hurting, it's our perception that needs to change. And I'm closing here. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul talks about it. He says, I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. Bigger than my problems. Paul says, we were afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Our inner self is being renewed day by day, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's tremendous promise to you that as bad as it gets, you can experience the kind of freedom that the Apostle Paul is talking about that says the promise of God is going to triumph in the thing that I'm fearing at this very moment. 
Do you want to be free? You are free in Christ, and you can feel free in relationship with him, and you can watch him act in your life. That's your inheritance, because if we're free in Christ, if Christ sets us free, we are free indeed. Amen.